Happiness runs in a circular motion. Thought is like a little boat upon the sea. Everybody Hello and welcome to Campfires and Color Wars, a podcast about summer camps and the stories we love to tell about them. Like the time Ben Dorfman and Barry Cohen successfully replicated the scene in Super Troopers where they chug a bottle of maple syrup, then even more successfully replicated the scene in The Exorcist when they vomited profusely. I'm Micah Hart, alongside my co-host Judy Becker. Hi, Judy. Hi, Micah. And for the next 45 minutes or so, we want to press pause on the world we live in and transport back to the days of our adolescence, when the school year was just one long rest hour between days at camp. In today's episode, we're happy to be joined by Greg Bluestein. Greg is the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's political reporter, and uh, we're lucky to be getting him uh, at this moment in time as he has just come off of covering some of the craziness of the national political conventions. Uh, we'll get into that a little bit more, but uh, Greg, thanks for, thanks for joining us. Glad to be here, guys. Uh, but before we, uh, before we dive into that, uh, Judy, anything campy in the news worth, uh, worth discussing? Well, uh, as we've done uh, once or twice before, this week's news is really my personal news, um, which is that I was recently back at camp. Um, I was there uh, for a couple reasons. One, to pick up my daughter who finished her 12 days at overnight camp for the first time. And, uh, and two, for my nieces who also go to camp, they had their bat mitzvah service at our camp. Um, it was the camp's regular Saturday morning service. So, um, no kidding. Yeah, so it, it actually worked out great. We had this whole, this plan has been in the works for a while for us to, for our family to join my daughter at camp on Friday night, go to the bat mitzvah on Saturday, and then bring her home on Sunday, which is exactly what we did. Um, and it was great to be back. It was great to reunite with Zoe, it was great to be a part of the bat mitzvah. So, what what was the? I, I've always wondered this because that was something that happened. I would say rarely growing yep. up. Maybe yeah. maybe once a summer, but probably like once every few summers. But I, I wonder right. if that's something that happens more often now. Uh, you know, it's interesting. I didn't ask them that. Um, I I wish I had because that was my recollection also was that once in a while there was someone who had a bat mitzvah at camp um, and they just felt like, you know, camp is the place where they uh, have their closest friends. They are so comfortable there. They love it there. Um, so I think they just felt like it would be a more meaningful experience for them than uh, doing it in a synagogue to which they might not feel particularly connected. So... That's so cool. And now, yeah. will they get still a bat mitzvah party when they get home? Or <laughs> they get they get a big bowling party in November, right around their thirteenth birthday. They're twins. Did I say that already? That that's why we're talking about two of them. <laughs> They're twins. So they turn thirteen in um, November, and and there will be another celebration then. Where do the guests stay during the during the bar mitzvah? So this, so we didn't stay on camp. We stayed at a hotel about ten minutes away. Um, but we were invited to come for all of the Friday afternoon and evening activities, and we were invited to stay through sort of the end of the activities, which ended pretty late at night. Um, I mean. Late for me, so maybe ten fifteen, ten thirty, um, and uh, and then we came back for the service on Saturday, and then um, we took the girls and my daughter off camp for uh, lunch following the bat mitzvah service. So, uh, which was and really how 
how was it being at camp with your daughter? Like, were was she able to, like, were y'all attached, or did she was like, hi mom, bye mom, leave me alone? Uh, somewhere in between there, she was um, really excited to see us. But then, you know, we started, our camp does this thing on Friday nights. It's called uh, the Shabbat Walk, where at the start of Sabbath, we walk all around camp. And it sort of starts at the top of camp and then all of the camp leaders and um, guests and, you know, people like the camp doctor and, and all those people come walk through camp and start by picking up the girls and then pick up the boys and then keep walking. And so so I didn't see her until we had started that walk and we got to the girls area. And so I was sort of looking for her and I was I was walking with someone else who um, is at camp right now. She was she was my counselor actually years ago and now is back at camp as um, I think a social worker working at camp this summer, which is really cool. And she and I were chatting and then I had to sort of stop and say, I'm really sorry, but I'm looking for my daughter because I haven't seen her in two weeks. Um, and so we caught up with her sort of midway through the girls area and had a big hug and then I said Zoe are you gonna walk with us and she was like oh I was gonna walk with my friend you know and named her friends and she sort of left us but then we found a way to sort of stick together and um she actually did a really good job of then floating between sitting with her friends she sat with her friends at dinner not with our family um which was fine our family had dinner together it was you know we had grandparents and other aunts and uncles who were in for the bat mitzvah and we all sat together and then when it came time to clear I realized uh, that no one else at the table had any idea what to do. And I was the one who had been at camp most recently. And that was 24 years ago. And I had to go, wait, how am I supposed to do this? Where does the silverware go? Like I saw my sister start throwing silverware in a bin with all the dishes. And I knew enough to say, no, I think the silverware goes somewhere else. And then um, my daughter walked by right at that moment. And I was like, what are we supposed to do with all this stuff? And she started directing us and showing us where to take things and how to stack everything properly. So she was really good about, you know, sort of helping us out. And then she went back to her friends. All right. So I have one question uh, and then we can and then we can change topics. Uh, Was your husband there with you? So he actually had a late work meeting on Friday, so he wasn't able to join for the Friday night dinner, but he met me at the hotel late that night, and then he came on Saturday. All right, well, then that removes all the questions that I was going to ask about Shabbat walks and uh, campfires and Lover's Lane, et cetera, so, et cetera. So, but, it, but, but you are asking questions that point to why, um, even though I was ta- – I obviously understood it was a big meeting he had to go to it uh i was a little sad that he wasn't able to be my date for shabbat <laughs> well did you find a different date though yeah my I mean, you son. can go as friends <laughs> my son was my date instead all right fair enough fair enough uh so greg let's talk what? a little bit about your camp experience you went to barney medits in Rural, rural Georgia. <laughs> yeah, in White, um, in Cleveland, Georgia, in in sort of the mountains of North Georgia. Uh, and, and I know a little bit about it uh, from growing up in the South. But for those who are who are new to to, uh, to Camp Barney, uh, tell us a little bit about uh, what the camp was like, what your experiences were like there. Yeah, so it's a so Camp Barney is a, it's a four week um, four week session, two sessions a summer, just like most camps. Uh, I usually went the second session, which was mostly Atlanta kids, and the first session was mostly kids from all over the South. Hmm. You had Birmingham kids and Savannah kids and, and a lot of Florida kids. Uh, the I went there for seven years as a camper and three years as a counselor. And my best memories 
or, or my counselor years. They were just sort of life-changing memories. But I loved that as a camper. And, um, you know, the traditions we had, which were drop-offs at basically the, this giant community college near, the, uh, near the, the Jewish Community Center in Atlanta. Everyone getting on the bus with giant duffel bags coming back four weeks later with their duffel bags and tatters and clothes that were pretty much thrown away. Um, you know, more traditions than I can think of, just like, just like everyone has with their own camps. Uh, and, and lifelong friendships, just like you guys all have been talking about these last few weeks. Uh, people I still keep in touch with. Every summer, every summer, I have these, even now, you know, 15 years, 17 years later, I have these pangs when it's, when it's warm outside. And I'm wishing, as I'm walking to some press conference or going to bug the governor about something, I'm like, ah, oh, I should be at camp. I should be working, <laughs> you know, enjoying enjoying summer camp. Uh, but it's it really, Camp Barney's slogan was my summer place. And, and sort of the entire summer revolves around, you know, it being a community uh, that you never forget about, that, 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 that sort of trying to build that sense in you that, that even 15 years later, 17 years, 20 years later, people still like, you know, have these memories. And my wife who went to Camp Barney too, but she went first session and I went second session and she never worked there. Same thing that she just gets tired. You know, we, we share stories, but she kind of gets tired of, of hearing all the ridiculous camp stories that come out. You know, something will spark a memory. I'll be at the, the neighborhood pool talking with, you know, some 13 year old who just come back from Barney and, and the traditions are still the same, the sneak outs and the, and the uh, pranks and all the different things they still do. Just like you guys have Lover's Lane and the Shabbat Walk. <laughs> we have Shabbat Concert and, and, and the Love Shack and, and things like that that we still do today. It's great. Uh, really quickly, first yeah. session versus second session. Who, which is the cool session? You know, I was always a second session dude. But when I worked at Barney, I always liked first session better. Just because it was, you know, different kids. They weren't all from Atlanta. You had a lot of, you had a lot more diversity in terms of regional diversity. Mm -hmm. So you had, you had kids from smaller towns a lot. Second session was all Metro Atlanta for the most part. So the kids knew each other a lot. And that, that could be good, but that could also be bad. There was a lot of clicks. There was a lot of infighting, a lot of feuding. It's a lot like politics. Se first session, though, the kids really didn't know each other as much. So you had like, you know, forging of new friendships a lot instead of familiar faces. When so you, I, I like first session better as a counselor. When you went to camp, second session, did you go with kids you knew, or were you? Did you meet all new people? Yeah, I went with kids I knew at first, and then I then you had the same cabins over and over again. So there's this core of three or four people in in in, in pretty much five of the seven year cabins I went to, uh, and then at one year one of my best friends came, mm -hmm. and then he got really sick, and I sort of turned on him. Um, <laughs> one year. Um, you'd have kids from school, but what I liked the most was 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 really having no one I really knew, right? Yeah. Um, because camp was a place to meet new people and sort of reinvent yourself every year. So if you're if you're going to the camp with the same kids, you spend you know your lunchtime at cafeterias, but not as fun. That's very cool. So I wanted to interject something that I meant to say when I was talking about having been back at camp because the way you were talking about camp just reminded me of it, that I, I had to say, um, at, at least if she's not listening, hopefully word will get back to her, to thank uh, my daughter's unit head, who I already told her my daughter loved her. But um, when my daughter wanted to tell her, you know, I had been at camp many years ago and uh, and I was telling her how long ago it's it's been. And she said, oh, you know, she said, that's so great. I didn't realize you were an alum. Welcome home. And it was just like such a nice 
thing instead of welcome back to say welcome home. Um, it really felt cool. So I just wanted to thank her for that. So, but it's sort of the way you're, t- you know, to hear you talk about camp. I think a lot of people feel that way. Yeah. One of the coolest things we, we did was we had, I'm sure most camps do this, but we had summer plaques for each cabin. And mm-hmm. uh, it's really cool to go back and try to find, a lot of them were lost in a fire, unfortunately, at Camp Party. But some of them still exist. So it was cool. I brought, I brought my, she's five now, but two years ago, they had a family camp sort of reunion kind of thing. And I brought the three, she was three then. And I was going nuts trying to find, you know, the, my name, my 15-year-old, 10-year-old, you know, 20-year-old plaques all over camp. And she didn't even, you know, couldn't spell or anything. But I'd say, there's daddy's name. <laughs> so- best way. Or whatever it was. So I don't know what a camp plaque is. Yeah, that's not familiar to me either. So every cabin would have their own, at the end of the session, would make their own sort of wooden plaque. And um, it would be the camp's slogan. So I don't know. I'm trying to think of what mine were. Mine changed every session. But as a counselor, it would be like Blues Ballers or or some lewd joke with my last name. Uh, (laughs) So... So there was stuff like that, and then there'd be all the campers' names and their ridiculous nicknames. We'd make up for them, and if we didn't have, an, if the camper didn't have a nickname, we'd make up one at the last minute and say, "Your new <laughs> name, love, whatever it might be." And we'd also name a cabin Bo and a cabin sweetheart. So it'd be the cabin sweetheart would be whatever counselor or, or rover or whatever they they had the biggest crush on, and the Bo would be whatever you know, assistant counselor was the coolest in 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 the in the unit. Um, and so my, my whole thing, when I was a rover, when I was assistant counselor, um, when I was like 17, I was, there were, I was an assistant counselor for like 22 cabins. And my goal was to try to be the, the, the bow for as many as I could. And I think I got 15, I'm hyper competitive. I think I got like 15 or 16 out of the 22 and I beat this other guy. I was like, yes. (laughs) What was the secret? Oh, you know, energy. I think, I mean, you know, like as a rover, I had I had like little inside jokes with all the different cabins, and I just I don't know I felt like I was getting paid to do this sounds so corny but you get paid to do what you really love I love going to mud and and messing with the kids and throwing them in the pool and just doing all that stuff and to get paid to do that for 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 a summer was pretty awesome. So is a rover is that like counselor in training is that CIT? No, summer? It's sort of like no, it'd be like um, it was a full time gig. And you got paid for it. It's it sort of you didn't have your own cabin, but you you were the, sort of the backup counselor. So when the counselor went on, you know, a night off or had a period off, you take over for that counselor. And and then if a counselor had some sort of, you know, emergency, like it happened when I was a rover, um, uh, one of the one of the counselors' uh, dads died. So I took over his cabin for the last two weeks. Wow. So you're sort of like the fill-in, but it's awesome because. You just you can just go around and kind of do whatever you want to do. That's that's, that's actually brilliant. I've never heard of that. How how many rovers are there on staff? So when I was when I was a rover, we had a giant unit. It was called Rishanim, but it was it was basically I'm trying to think eight nine year olds maybe, and there was something like seven or eight cabins for each of those for for the eight year olds and, and for the nine year olds, something like oh, that. Wow, wow, maybe a, a, a huge unit, and so there was something like eight or nine of us rovers and eight or nine of us rovers and a ton of um and you know and and a counselor for each cabin so we were pretty busy i'm surprised that you ended up becoming a reporter i would think that a substitute teacher would have been uh another wonderful career uh, path for you perhaps (laughs) my mom warned me too much against that no i mean i guess i guess 
I wanted to be a reporter since I was in fourth grade when the Braves were from worst to first, and I wanted to be the next Braves beat writer. And then I became too much of a fan of baseball to, to want to do that. But I guess reporting, you know, I, I could see there was a little staff, there was a little camp newspaper at, at Camp Barney. I never was involved in it. But it was sort of, there's always breaking news happening. I was at camp when Joe Lieberman was announced as the VP candidate for Al Gore. And I, I still remember the, the camp director beaming. His name is Jim Mittenthal, and, he, and he's, he took the microphone, and he was beaming after lunch one day. And he said, I just want to break the news to everyone that Joe Lieberman is now the first Jewish vice presidential candidate. And the entire dining hall erupted in applause. And it's just amazing to think back at that because we didn't have any – you know, the way we got our news for the most part was letters from our families. And sometimes my mom would include like Braves articles from the AJC in them that were two or three days old. And we had, of course, we had radios and we'd hear, we'd hear from counselors as campers, you know, what, what was happening outside in the real world. But it took so long for even, a, even when I was a counselor for some of this information to, to trickle down. That was a day stale. That, that had happened the night before. And we were just finding out about it, you know, almost 24 hours later at lunch. And so <laughs> that also inspired me to want to, it's hard for me to wait. I have to, I have to know the news right when it happened. <laughs> when I got pregnant, I was like, I cannot find it. <laughs> you need to tell me almost immediately. You can't keep anything secret from me. So that was sort of a, a, an early uh, hint at me what, what I was going to do. Greg, I'm curious uh, because there are several camps, uh, several Jewish camps in, in the state of Georgia you know, let alone in the surrounding area. Like growing up in Mississippi, there was really one Camp Jacobs uh, for us to trickle into. Why Barney? Why not Camp Coleman, which is like across the lake, basically? Or I don't know if Ramah was there when you were growing up, but then there's also like Blue Star, North Carolina, et cetera, et cetera. Why Barney? Yeah, you know, I don't, I mean, my mom went to both Barney and Blue Star. She grew up in Charleston, South Carolina. And so she went to both those camps. Um, and she actually went to Blue Star much, much longer. I think it's also, a lot of the Atlanta families went to Barney. Um, a lot of the, the South Carolina families went to went to Blue Star or Judea. So that was one thing. We All of our community members, all of our neighbors, all of our schoolmates were going to Barney. So that, that probably influenced. It wasn't really up to me those first few years. Uh, but also the, the rivalry between Camp Barney and Camp Coleman. And you're right, Camp Coleman is literally across the street. There are these two giant Jewish camps in this, in this very rural um, – evangelical Christian area in, in White County, North Georgia. The county itself is, is a dry county. You got to go to, to nearby Habersham County to get any drink. Um, so, <laughs> amazing. Uh, Do you have like a moonshine hoog or something like that? Uh, yeah, moonshine to, specialty? <laughs> pretty much. You have to go to Helen, Georgia, which is where all the, sort of a, a, sort of a fake German town uh, in the, and also in the mountains to get any booze. Um, but just, just the fact that they're right across the street from each other in this hardcore evangelical area uh, it was always fascinating to me. And the rivalry between the two, two, two camps, the Camp Barney was affiliated with the Jewish Community Center. It, it was, they kept kosher and observed the Sabbath, but it wasn't orthodox. It wasn't, it wasn't overly observant, I guess you'd say. Uh, whereas Camp Holman was affiliated with the Reform Movement. And so there was this, there was this weird rivalry between the two. And we'd play basketball against each other. The staffs would, would play basketball against each other once a year, once a, once a session. Um, we'd make fun of them for not having horseback riding or other things that we had. <laughs> <laughs> so there is a strange, but I don't think they really. 
I don't know that many Barney people who went to Coleman or Coleman people who went to Barney. It was almost like a, a mutually exclusive fraternities that didn't really mix with each other. Yeah. Did you guys keep Shabbat? Yeah. So we'd have these, we'd have Shabbat rituals as a, as a staffer. No, no staffers were outside. We're allowed to go outside the camp doing Shabbat. So, so even the non-Jewish staffers were always wondering like, why do we have this sticker? Why can't we sneak out? Right. Um, but yeah, every, every Shabbat, We'd have uh, a giant dinner. I think the feature of the dinner was you could sit wherever you wanted. You didn't have to sit with your with your cabin. Yep. So I still remember that. And and then as a counselor, you had your own table, and you were always wondering who who am I going to get? You know, who's going to want to come sit with my table? And you got <laughs> your brothers were there. You got to sit with your brothers, your sisters, your siblings. That was kind of neat. And then you'd have um, you know, of course, you go to uh, the the chapel for Shabbat. And then the next day, if I remember, yeah. The next day, you'd have pretty much a free day. You'd go in, in the morning. You'd have Shabbat, and then you'd have you'd clean up, and then you'd go. You know, after after lunch, you'd go to go back to the temp the chapel for. Uh, I mean, let me try to remember this. No, no, no. Sorry, I remember it now. <laughs> so in the morning, you'd wake up. You got to sleep in a little bit late, I think, and you go to breakfast. Then you go to synagogue. You go to chapel for the morning, and then you go to lunch, and then the rest of the day was free period. So it was pretty cool. So you got to pick whatever you wanted to do. If you wanted to hang out with friends from other cabins or siblings or whatever, um, you kind of got, it was sort of elective day. Instead of, the rest of camp was pretty regimented, but I think Shabbat was pretty open. You got, if you wanted to hang out in the cabin and read or write letters or whatever, you could do that. If you wanted to go play Ultimate Frisbee all day like I did, you could go do that. And then at night after dinner, you'd have this Shabbat concert, which was our Mm. version of the variety show. And, uh, you know, as a counselor, I'd make my kids do ridiculously stupid things. And it was always a big honor to host Shabbat concert. So if you got picked to host it, it was a huge deal around camp. Like, oh, it's going to be hilarious because so-and-so is, is the one on stage. And, man, I had to host it once or twice. And if you bombed, you bombed badly. And I bombed really badly. <laughs> <laughs> That's any, uh, anybody of, of note go on to any kind of uh... – showbiz career from uh from from their roots hosting the uh the show so trevor williams is um was one of the best hosts and he was this hilarious camp lifer i think he worked there for uh, years and he was a legend around camp and every time he hosted you were you were in for an amazing show and um he's up in new york now working with uh working with a couple friends of mine uh just doing you know, production and he, he, at UGA, he had a show called uh, the silly spider monkey fiasco. I think it was, it was called, it was awesome. So he was also a legend around, around university of Georgia in his own way, but he was hilarious. You just had, you just had like very characters who you know would be awesome. And as a, as a counselor, you like, you look forward to it because you couldn't leave camp anyway. You were with your cabin that night, no matter what. So you might as well be in for a good show. So that's actually a perfect transition, though, to our the topic we wanted to discuss today, which is evening programs at camp. It sounds like that was a traditional evening program at camp. I found out when I was back um, visiting camp, what I remember from our Saturday nights is it would alternate, you know, of the four Saturdays we had, the first one would be movie night, the second one would be hook presentations, so drama, dance, music. I don't know if there were any other performances. The third one would be uh, another movie night. And then the fourth Saturday night, it was like the last night. I think there was just like special stuff happening for the last night. 
So I asked my daughter when I got to camp, you know, what was the movie for movie night? And she looked at me like I was crazy. And she was like, what are you talking about? We, we didn't have a movie night. <laughs> um, so programs have changed, apparently, um, which is wonderful. Um, but other than uh, other than these shows, did you have any memories of sort of favorite evening programs that you guys did, either as a camper or as a counselor? We had this group. And they were briefly, they, they, I think they were briefly somewhat big in the, in the pop music industry, but Evan and Jaren came. <laughs> so I, I know I've met Evan and Jaren. They're friends with a good friend of mine who grew up in Atlanta. Oh, yeah? So they, they came. I remember they came about once a session, and all the counselors would sort of roll their eyes, but the kids really got into it. <laughs> and then we had the other big thing we'd have was this group called Total Entertainment. They were this, like, ultimate bar mitzvah party, awesome, crazy group. And if they found out you were 11 or 12 and you were nearing a bar mitzvah or a bat mitzvah, they made sure you had their card. They made sure you had your, <laughs> they made sure you were writing, you know, your parents about how great total entertainment was. They had this elaborate light shows and they would have dancers and they would do the sort of after um, Shabbat concert show. So you'd have the re- variety sort of talent show. And then all the younger kids would go home and the older kids who might have dates, just like you guys had the Lover's Lane, we'd all ask girls to be our dates to, to, to like the, I don't, I don't think we had a name for it, but the big, the big, you know, concert afterwards. And we'd just go nuts and dance till, I don't know, it seemed like it was till midnight, but it was really till like nine. <laughs> <laughs> and then we'd pack in and we'd be exhausted. And the counselors would be exhausted too, because the counselors would have the kids on their shoulders and running around. So there, it, it was really a crazy show. Um, and we'd also have the same thing. We'd have our, uh, our our drama department do their big show at the end of the camp. And then the really special one was called JIT Review. And those were our, um, I think they were like 15-year-old campers, 15 or 16-year-olds. And they'd practice the last week for their own sort of variety show. It would be the last day of camp or the second last day of camp. But really, it was a takedown show. I mean, it was it was it was let's make fun of as many people as you could. And so if you were now you're talking. Yeah. So if they got you at at camp, I mean, it was an honor to be to be like roasted by them. It was basically like their version of a camp celebrity roast, and they would just ream and they would go nuts. They would destroy and eviscerate people on staff. And and, but it was sort of a, a mark of honor if they got you. If they made fun of you for. I don't know, for being too energetic or for or for getting in crap or for dating the wrong people or whatever it might be. Um, so that was that was one of the, the highlights. And if they did bad, like we I remember one group did so awful we booed them off the stage because they just weren't funny at all. So it went both ways. Uh first of all, I'm I'm just picturing you getting a lot of shit for uh wanting to be the rover of the year. I could see <laughs> that being uh ripe for parody. Um, but I, I wanted to take it back for a second because you're just coming off of covering the national political conventions. And I was thinking about this when I was hate watching one of them and less hate watching another one. Um, but as a counselor, when you're doing evening programs, you are, you're playing different roles. Like you are, I mean, you're doing that as a counselor, I guess all the time, regardless, but especially in evening programs, like if it had a particular theme or you know some sort of you know different ways you're you're play acting a lot and so watching the conventions uh, at night it they all really f- felt like like evening programs like tonight's evening program is about our military and appreciating the military you know whatever that kind of stuff is 
And I'm just curious, as a political reporter, do you find there to be similarities in the way people sort of make believe and show and all that stuff? Uh, cause, uh, or, or maybe you think it's all real. I, I don't know. I don't want to put words in your mouth. Well, it's a reminder that there's pageantry in everything, right? There's pageantry in political conventions, in the traditions, and in the routines of, of the roll call votes and the and the placards and the hats and all the confetti and on balloons and all that crap. And there's pageantry in camp, right? I mean, our, our sort of world revolves around traditions and pageantry. It gives you something excited for. There are important symbolic moments for the passage of time and for important, mo- for important moments in time. And that's exactly sort of what what camp evening programs were, right? It was welcoming the new week after 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 Shabbat. It was saying goodbye to friends at the end of camp. We had one of our biggest um, pageantry moments was the very last night of camp. You'd have this giant slideshow. Another thing that I don't know what they do now, but what a moment it was for us because you'd look to see how many times you were in the slideshow, and again, still a mark of honor if you were in the slideshow three or four times because it was the whole camp. It was all, I don't know, a thousand staffers and campers. And uh, everyone was, and every time you were in the flight show, your cabin cheer or you cheer for your friends. And, <laughs> and, you know, it was, but it was like an important symbolic moment. Just like conventions are, are, are they're, until this year, they're pretty scripted, routine, not very exciting things that just, but they were big, to the, they're, they're always big to the people involved. Um, of course, this year that that threw everything on its ear, but 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 they're still important, right? They're still something you look forward to, and something that, that formalizes something you already knew. So you already knew that Shabbat was here, but mm. but the program was something that sort of welcomed it in. You already knew that Hillary Clinton was going to be the nominee, but the roll call vote last week was the big sort of defining moment for her for her to actually become the formal nominee. I love that comparison. I mean, it's it's true, and it's and it has that feeling of um, just you know there are times when when it is just important to mark the occasion with something, um, and it and you feel it. Uh, and I think camp is like all about creating those moments constantly, um, which is part of why uh, people fall in love with camp. Um, and it's, and, you know, I assume it's part of why when we create those moments through a convention, you know, there's, there's a bounce and people are paying attention and suddenly get really excited about the election. Um, but you know, it's funny how, you know, with the convention, it lasts, what, four days It you know, may feel like longer, but, um, uh, you know, camp is creating those moment moments, moment after moment for like a month, seven weeks, constantly just coming up with those moments. Yeah, and sustaining them, right? Like because it's not only creating them for those four weeks, but it's also creating those memories that you want to relive the next summer or the summer after that. It's you know, oh, it's been a year since I was at camp, but I still remember Shabbat concert, or I can't wait to be in the in the in the JIT review next next year. I can't <laughs> wait to see the uh, the slideshow. All those things, and that's that's not easy to do, but it also teaches the importance of tradition in our lives too. Uh, you know, some of my most favorite traditions are, are camp-related ones that I haven't done in 20 years, <laughs> but I still I still look so fondly back at. What are some of those? Well, you know, going some of my best memories are just going to the campfires at night um, with with my cabin and just looking around and 
you feel like, okay, I know these guys, you know, their lives, I'm 17 or 18, but their lives depend on me for better or for worse. You know, their parents entrusted basically me with their safety and their fun this summer. Um, and I think about that a lot when I'm like with my family at the pool or we're going to the park or something like that, because that was my first real taste of, of like true responsibility of holy shit responsibility. Like, uh, <laughs> like these kids could really, you know, I better watch out because if something goes wrong, it's on me and no one else, right? Like the kid falls off a horse or, or, or beats each other up or, you know, something happens in the cabin where they smack each other with a pillow too hard or something like that. It's on you. There's no one else you can, you can blame. And that, and all those things did happen. <laughs> so, so Micah, I was wondering if you had any particular memories when, you know, when we decided on this theme for uh, this podcast, were there particular evening programs that you were thinking about uh, either for the better or worse? So I was thinking about it when we were, when we were thinking about talking about evening programs. Uh, and Greg, I'd like to hear about Barney, how, how things were there. But at Jacob's, uh, and we may have talked about this on a podcast. I'm not sure if this one has aired yet or not. But at Jacob's, there was a real premium placed on original evening programs. Like we never had dances. We never did, uh, or rarely did like capture the flag, things like that. Like you really had to build from scratch something new. And my last year as a counselor, I had in, in a span of like three nights, what I think most campers who were there would consider the best evening program they ever had and the worst evening program that they ever had. And I, and they were both mine. Um, the first one was, uh, it was designed to be like, it was like the first night of camp. And if you recall, the first night of camp is always a disaster. And, and sorry, not the first night of camp, but the first like evening where it's just, you know, you're in your cabin and you're in your unit. It's not, you know, like the opening night, whatever performance or whatever you do at your camp. It's just a cluster. The kids don't want to behave. They want to see their friends. Uh, you know, it's just not conducive to doing something like super structured. So my thought was, all right, we're going to do a bunch of like really silly competitions. Like we're going to crown the ch like the champion uh, uh, paper, rock, scissors champion of the unit and the staring contest champion of the unit. Like all these little things that I thought was going to be like hilarious. And immediately it went off the rails. Like, we had no way of, like... Like, we somehow had set it up where, like, you knew who your opponent was, but then immediately when you're done, you're, like, running up to me, like, okay, who do I play next? And you've got, like, 70 campers all coming up to me at once, like, asking what they're supposed to know. It was chaos, and it ended up... We, <laughs> we ended up basically turning it into, like, I don't know, like a big game of dodgeball or something because it was such a disaster. And I was, like my head was like spinning. Like I was sweating. I didn't know what to do. It was just, it bombed miserably. Uh, but then two nights later, and usually don't have programs like this close together, but for whatever reason I did, uh, we did a program that was very similar to The Wave. If you remember that movie uh, from probably like Youth Group or something. Uh, it's a great movie. I highly recommend it. I'll, I'll get back to The Wave in a second. But it was basically... Um, it's kind of an apropos. I feel like I should do this evening program now for America. Um, it was a program where it was sort of like what you're talking about, Greg, with uh, with JIT. 
where the goal of the program was for you to make as much fun as possible of the other cabins. And we like encouraged the kids to be like, like progressively meaner and progressively like mean spirited and, you know, get dirty and be vulgar. And these were older, you know, older kids. So I guess that would be a little bit more permissible. And people like, of course, got super into it and they were getting like really, really nasty. And then at the end, we said we were going to announce which cabin was the winner and we unfurl a Nazi uh, flag. Oh. What? And the idea was to show how easily it is to get caught up uh, and swept along in, you know, like what what people are doing and you don't stop to think about, is it right? Mm. Is this nice? Whatever. Uh, maybe it was a little heavy, but it, hey. I mean, it got like it. The kids were like, wow. Like, yeah. I remember our, my campers like being like, that was the coolest thing that we've ever had as a program. Like, I, I really didn't see it coming, like whatever. Uh, so I felt really proud of it. Again, maybe in hindsight, I don't know if it seems like it was way over the top, but it, it played well in the room. Well, so you ha- so you have to, so, so what's funny about that is the program that I immediately thought of is, um, it, I, I actually can't believe that these counselors were allowed to do this. This is from either my first or second summer at camp. So I was maybe seventh or eighth grade. I was a camper and they wanted to do something on the Holocaust. So, they decided that uh, what would be appropriate for 12 and 13 year olds is uh, to enact having to escape from um, a camp <laughs> and <laughs> go. I mean, I, I cannot believe we did this. There were so many kids crying, crawling <laughs> because they were terrified because they were counselors who would come out and grab you and like take you to a prison and... You, you didn't really know where you were going. It was in the dark and they had us going through the woods. And I can't, I mean, there must have been more organization to it than there is in my memory. In my memory, it was a bunch of crying kids trying to get <laughs> from one side of camp to ultimately we wound up at the pool, which was supposed to symbolize Israel and there was watermelon there. But um, that's what I remember. <laughs> <laughs> Just like in the Holocaust, <laughs> you know, exactly. watermelon. But all I remember is kids like crawling through the woods, crying, thinking that they were going to like get in serious trouble and get thrown in somewhere. Um, And it was, it was horrifying. It was absolutely horrifying. Ours were never that heavy. The the, the one that comes to mind for me, and we were younger, we were maybe this was like when we were nine or 10, but they, the, the, the counselors made up this program. They made up this fake character named Fonger. And he was supposed to be this Australian businessman who, if if we were kind to the environment and we cleaned up our litter and helped clean up trash from this lake that they just dredged at Camp Barney and, and helped uh, throw away trash and, and start a recycling program, then maybe by the end of camp, Fonger would come visit us. And so throughout the whole four-week session, we'd have all these programs where we'd, you know, help out the cafeteria, the, the kitchen workers and set up recycling bins and do all this crap. And then near the end, they said, well, first, before Fonger comes, we have to learn his song. So, and there, there's, I guess, Australian people who, who were working on staff, and they knew the, the, the waltzing Matilda, the, Austra- the Australian national anthem of the song, and they made up the song, I still remember it, based on 
watching Matilda. I was like, following Fonger, following Fonger. You will come following Fonger with me. And it went on and on. I don't go sing the whole thing because it's awful. After he finally sang that song to him, it was pitch black. I think we were at this, uh, some staff cabin that we had never seen before. And they got some waterfront staffer to wear uh, a giant fake beard and talk with a really bad Australian accent. <laughs> Bonger. And we were expecting Yeah, this man, I'm from Australia, man. <laughs> exactly. And we were expecting this, like, this billionaire. We had been, this Bonger guy had been propped on our imagination the entire session as this, you know, Warren Buffett-type character who'd come and lavish riches on us and, and, and buy us TVs and, 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 and bikes and all this crap. And instead, he brought, like, I think it was donuts or something. I've <laughs> never been so let down. Even though donuts were still pretty cool because it was we, we didn't get have any outside food all of camp. We were so let down after meeting Fonger in person. <laughs> so what were evening programs like, generally speaking, at, at Barney? Were they, were, did you have to plan original programs? Or were they sort of, you know, more generic? What you would sort of see from, like, a, a normal camp that's not crazy like Jacob's? Yeah, I don't. So I don't think we had evening programs in the same sense you guys did. We'd have we'd have Shabbat. We'd have our traditional Shabbat programs like the like the like the like the talent show I was talking about and, and skits and things like that. But we usually had you know traditional activities at night where we play swimming or we play frisbee or or baseball or whatever it would be. But the real thing where the counselors really got to plan and show their ingenuity were the sneakouts. We would do it. <laughs> things and, and 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 we'd usually we'd usually uh we'd never clear them with our bosses because because it was sort of a competition among counselors who could have the the the, the baddest the, the coolest sneak out for their kids and who could freak out their kids and really by the end of it by the, <laughs> by the end, i was a third year counselor i'd love doing it because it would just exhaust the kids they'd be so tired because i'd wait for them to fall asleep i'd wake them up at like 11 you know i'd take them out for an hour and and they would just be so exhausted the next day. They'd be so easy to handle the next day. But we'd do these big sneakouts where we'd sneak him out to the cafeteria and we'd pretend like that we were the kitchen staff had no idea that we'd make we'd steal cookies or something. Or um, I remember one sneak out. I snuck him to the staff lounge at like this was late. This was two or three a.m. in the morning. I made them watch Apollo thirteen. <laughs> <laughs> and they all fell asleep like 20 minutes in the movie <laughs> how old how old were your campers they were like 12 wow. 11 and and even i fell asleep after an hour and we woke up at like 5 a.m and rushed back to our cabin <laughs> and and there's there's another one every year the 16 year old um campers the 15 16 year old campers the jits do this giant prank where they wreak havoc on camp and we got a tip from one of their counselors or from someone. So we would, uh, I think we threw eggs at them. And uh, and then whenever they did a prank, we'd undo it. So I, I love that one because I still remember their counselors screaming at us and a bunch of 11-year-old boys. With, and we had walkie-talkies and we had this whole elaborate setup. And they were so pissed off at us because they, they had planned all this time for this hilarious jit prank and we kind of ruined it. <laughs> That's pretty amazing. We didn't really do a ton of that at either of the camps I worked at. Um, we had, when I was a camper, I do remember uh, my counselors, mo- most summers, I think, sneaking us out of the bunk 
to go down to the athletic field and they gave us donuts. But that was as creative as it got. It was just like they would wake us up and tell us we were in trouble and then give us donuts. Um, but but nothing beyond that. Those I like those sneak outs. <laughs> we had the whole tradition down. because So the campers would always sneak in food. So I, I remember learning this my first year. And the food would attract rats. If they hit it, they'd oh. hit it behind their underwear and they'd hide it everywhere. So we learned pretty quickly to, to, to the best way to get the, the get them to give up their food was to do a sneak out early in the, in the session. So like the first Wednesday, so the kids would get there like on Sunday or Monday. And by Wednesday I'd have, I'd have our first sneak out at the cafeteria where we, you know, where we'd raid the pantry and I'd, 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 you know, bribe, or I'd tell some, one of the cafeteria staffers like, Hey, we're, we're coming to the kitchen tonight. So let us, let us come in. Um, but then after that, I'd say like, okay guys, since I've done this for you guys and since, since I really put my own, now I'm going to get in so trouble, so much trouble if the director finds out. <laughs> We've got to make sure we, we, we bring all of our food. You know, t- tomorrow night we're going to do one more sneak out to the cafeteria. This time we're going to eat all the food that we're, that we're hiding in our cabins. So they'd get all their food up the next day and they'd get all excited about it. They'd go to sleep. I'd wake them up like an hour after they went to sleep. They'd be exhausted. I'd run them to the cafeteria and we'd eat all the food. Oh, they, my God. But we usually wouldn't have, we didn't have the same rat problems other cabins had. That's awful, rats. That's that's terrible. At uh, Jacobs, I remember there were ants at at Gucci at my camp in Indiana. We just had food in the cabins, and luckily, rat problems. Yeah, <laughs> oh, birds in the ca- cabins. There was all sorts of stuff, and and you left food in. Wow. And some the kids would their their grandparents. I'd, uh, I'd put Jacobs ants up against your rats any day. Oh yeah? my god, I'd so much rather have ants than rats. Rats, I would leave camp. Yeah, that's that, awful and then you'd hear him running on, on top of the cabins oh. were, Jacobs was Barney is pretty rustic I mean there was no air conditioning of course or carpets or anything like that yeah. they were just cabins with fans that's brutal and in you know that's the same way at the camp in Indiana that I went to but in in Mississippi there wasn't there weren't air conditioners in the cabins but there was some what do they call them like a swamp coolers or something like that uh swamp coolers yeah, yeah. it wasn't air conditioning like air but it was but it was circulation significantly or, yeah. cooler in the cabin than outside yeah but it still wasn't i mean the old camper cabins before the camp before got I was renovated there. Yep. like uh yeah in the mid 90s i mean that was you know, as sweltering as it gets. Like you would wake up from a nap if you had been laying down. You would sit up, and it was like someone poured a bucket of water over you. Just all <laughs> the sweat just cascading down. Uh, when they got air cooling, uh, it was like you know, if it was a ten on the scale before, it was maybe a seven. Okay. Um, but uh, you know, it's camp. It's not supposed to be comfortable. That's right. <laughs> Um, all right, so uh, I feel like we should move on to uh, our Campfires and Color Wars questionnaire. Uh, title still pending. Um, Greg, some rapid-fire uh, questions about some of your experiences at camp. Uh, first question is, what was your first kiss like at camp? Or if you did not have a first kiss, just sort of your most romantic memory of camp? It was a sneak out maybe when I was... I don't know, nine or 10. And we snuck out to the girls' cabins across this ditch. And it was a bunch of the guys from my cabin going to a bunch of girls in, in another cabin. And um, we played spin the bottle. And I got lucky with 
I, the, the bottle landed on like the prettiest girl. You got lucky. No, no, <laughs> eight year old. But I have heard things about Barney, but that is impressive, landed, my friend. <laughs> I set a record. No, it um, it landed on the prettiest girl in, in in the unit, and I remember she was so distraught, and I was so happy. <laughs> All right, number two. Uh, were you ever in a talent show? We've covered this a little bit, but uh, if so, what was your greatest camp performance? So I made my campers, one time my campers really pissed me off. They were awful that week. So, so I said their punishment was they had to dress up as girls and dance to a Backstreet Boys. Backstreet Boys was big that summer. So it was, I wanted that way. Was that Backstreet Boys or another group? Whoever saying I, I think it was that- Backstreet Boys. I yeah. want it that way. So I made them dance that in front of the- was it not Evan and Jaron that sang that? Definitely <laughs> not. So they had to dress up as girls and, and sing to the entire um, camp. And I think they, they some of them secretly enjoyed it. But um, that was – and then I had to host the Shabbat concert a few times. And a few times they did decent, but one time I totally bombed. We had all these elaborate jokes set up, and they all fell flat. And I made my camp girlfriend at the time – stay with me and, and, and instead of going out that night she stuck there and she's like wait i really you know wasted a night out to watch that Ugh, i felt so embarrassed. <laughs> that's awesome uh that might lead uh nicely into the third question which is what was your most embarrassing moment in camp that was not it my most embarrassing moment when i was again when i was a counselor and i had my kids do all these weird social experiments around camp to see you know, I don't know why we were doing it. I was, I, I, but one of the social experiments was for them to, one of the kids in the cabin to for, pretend he dropped, he lost his contact lens on this dirt road to the chapel. And quickly it morphed into this entire like mini drama where there is three or four other cabins trying to find his, his, his uh, contact lens, which didn't exist. He, he didn't lose anything. He was just pretending. And then the kid decided to pretend to have an asthma attack. And so one of the girls, and he was still pretending, but he was doing it pretty real. And there was like kids fake crying. We did a lot of this around camp. We messed with a lot of people. This one got really out of hand. All the, this, this older <laughs> girl's cabin ran to the infirmary and the infirmary ran with the and, and I had to tell the nurse who was really pissed off that it was, the kid was just joking. And oh it, made me, it made me apologize to the entire staff at the next staff staff meeting, I'll still never forget this. <laughs> so, remember, like 97% of the staff had no idea what ha- went down. And the three or four staffers that, that, that knew weren't that ticked off, but the nurses really were. So I went in front of the whole camp and, and <laughs> sat there. And I kind of made a joke out of it. Um, but I apologize for, for the kid, you know, for us getting out of hand with our, with our social experiments. So it's pretty embarrassing. Oh, I love a good prank gone wrong. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, I, I, I'm not, I, I have a story I want to tell, but it's not camp related and we're getting late. So I'll leave it alone. Uh, <laughs> number four, uh, top bunk or bottom bunk? Top bunk. Oh, yeah, definitely top bunk. I'm going to start keeping score on this. I know. Judy, we, have to, are... we have to track it because I'm definitely in the minority. For sure. Which, which but doesn't at, make any sense because it should be 50-50, right? That's right. That's right. <laughs> at least it should be 50-50. If, if not in your favor. Right. Because if right. there's an odd number, typically you'd be you on a bottom. You don't have just a top bunk. 
I probably would do that actually. If I were the odd number camper and didn't have a bunkmate, I would probably still, you would still have taken to top bunk. I would. That's I, think cool that is. A, I think I had my own little bunk bed. And I still took the top bunk. Wow. Huh. Um, all right, number five. Uh, your favorite story of cursing from camp. So this was when I was a camper, nine or ten, and you, you, you curse from the moment you get to camp to the moment you leave. And it took me like it would always take me a week or two to to get back to not cursing. And of course, as a reporter, I still curse all the time now too, and it's hard for me to stop. But um, I remember there was one year where there was barely a gap between coming back from camp to going to school, and I'm at. I think I was at Hebrew Academy. I think I was at a private Jewish school. If I wasn't there, I was in my elementary school. And I remember saying, like, dropping a shit bomb to my teacher and just getting, like, <laughs> getting the immediate detention. That was always tough. There's always the, the first couple curse words in front of the parents when we got home. That was rough. Yep. <laughs> I definitely remember how to transition and try to, like, when I was a little older trying to stop cursing for those last three days so I could get... <laughs> so you never... transition better? <laughs> I remember like, I would get lectured on it, too. They'd say, make sure your, your kids start weaning them off the, the F-bomb right now. See, I think that's funny that y'all tried to, to back off a bit because I feel like I was like Cartman in the South Park movie. Like, I couldn't wait to get to school and show off how impressive my cursing was <laughs> to all my friends. <laughs> Um, all right. Well, this brings us to our uh, one of our closing segments on the podcast, which we like to do. A lot of people at camp used to end their day or their week uh, with something that, uh, depending on where you went to camp or what cabin you were in, might have been called roses and thorns or uh, Micah's preferred terminology, bitches and roses. That's uh, right. You know, we, we've talked about it's also been called good and welfare. I hear lots of names for this, but uh, something good that's going on in your life right now and uh, something maybe not so good that you're ready to let go of. So, uh, Greg, if you want to go first. Yeah, so the good thing is my five-year-old is about to start kindergarten on Monday. So Exciting. she is have registration tomorrow, so she's all excited about that. I think she's excited right now, but it'll hit her pretty soon. That it's like, This is like a holy crap moment for her. She hasn't quite comprehended, <laughs> but she'll get it. She'll be fine. Um, and then the bad thing is, you know, you can't avoid politics right now. It's a good, it's a good, it's a good news, bad news for a political reporter, but literally everywhere – you go, everyone wants to talk about Trump. Everyone wants to talk about Clinton. This is probably the only interview I've done in the last year and a half where there was no <laughs> really, of, of, of Donald Trump's name. So um, think there was, no, there was a subvert mention of that, but it was, it was, it was not a, there was not an overt mention of Trump. Um, but so that's great, but it's also, it also can get wearing. So, um, but it's a, it's a decent problem to have. Uh, Greg, I love that you just said it gets wearing to be asked political questions. I'm going to follow it up with a political question. Uh, I'm curious. I, I assume yeah. just because you, you seem like a sharp guy uh, that you're also somewhat aware of sort of the history of politics. Is that is that fair to say? Because if not, then I don't have to I ask hope, my question. I hope, but I hope so. Well, I guess I'm just curious, you know, covering it, uh, you know, as as closely as you do. Obviously, this seems in the modern era to be a historic level, uh, you know, campaign. But I'm curious if that is really the truth, or if uh, there are other examples that we just don't know because we're too young to 
remember them or literally they didn't happen in our lifetimes uh, you know is this historic or is this just something that comes up every you know 30 40 however many years well the campaign itself is is historic there's little doubt about that because this is you're seeing an outsider who's never held any elected office who has become the Republican presidential nominee over 17, 16 other candidates with elected experience or some sort of, you know, bona fide political experience in most of their cases, um, who is literally saying something else unbelievable every day, right? Like, like in the week of the Democratic convention, he called on Russia to cyber attack the, the, the Democratic Party. He basically called for a Watergate from a foreign country and he followed up by belittling the parents of a slain U.S. Muslim soldier. So th those alone would be headline, election-changing, game-changing moments in any past race. And and in this contest, it was sort of another Tuesday, right, or another Wednesday. Um, we'll really know if it's a game-changing election after November. There's a few different types of elections, but one of them is called the realignment. And if Trump wins, it'll be a true realignment for Republicans because you're you're bringing in a whole new group of newcomers, outsiders, anti-establishment voters who are who who don't like Paul Ryan, the House Speaker, who don't like Mitch McConnell, the Senate Majority Leader, and who are willing to throw out the bums, throw out the the old guard. So we'll 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 be learning. Your kids will be reading about this in history books for no doubt. Super interesting. Sorry, didn't mean to. Didn't necessarily mean to go there, yeah. but. Uh... You know, look, like Rutherford Hayes, I mean, he won an election that he didn't actually win the popular vote in. So, like, I think there are historical examples of crazy elections. But, you know, I think we always have a recency bias for, uh, for whatever the time it is that we live. Um, but anyway. Yeah, but this one's a special case. I mean, this one's this one's like in 2000 election, obviously, was 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 nuts. And you had a presidential you had a president who won without winning the, the, the popular vote. And um you know, so there's lots of there's lots of other crazy elections, uh, but but this one this one's shaping up to be something again that your kid. will be asking, where were you, November of 2016? By the way, uh, if someone listening could forward this podcast episode onto my American history teacher from high school, she'll be super psyched <laughs> about that Rutherford Hayes reference. Um, Hell yeah! So, <laughs> uh, all right, so my. Uh, it's interesting that this is Bitches and Roses because my rose uh, is that I got to see Axl Rose uh, <laughs> and Guns N' Roses in concert uh, last week. And like sixth grade me could not have been more excited. <laughs> I mean, Guns N' Roses was like my band that I rocked out to all the time for like a good five years of, uh, you know, of growing up. Uh, I had a, a tape every summer that I would essentially wear out uh, uh, whatever their latest CD was. And I've all I've said for years that they're basically two bands that if they ever got back together, I, it would not matter the cost. Like, I would go see them. And one was Led Zeppelin, which I'm still, you know, I'll hold out hope perhaps someday uh, to get the, the two main ones back together. Um, but, uh, but Guns N' Roses was the other. So when I heard that they were coming to Atlanta... I was super psyched, uh, and it was a great show. I mean, Axel's definitely a little older, um, but he he can still bring it, uh, especially given his age. Uh, but honestly, like seeing Slash live was like I, I mean, literally, I feel like it's not even hyperbole to say this. It felt like seeing like Mozart uh, 
in in Mozart's prime. Like that's how great a guitarist I think he is. I think he is one of like the three greatest guitarists ever. And seeing him just like kill it after like song after song, it was super cool. Uh, <laughs> Did he play a concert at Jacobs? Did he play a concert <laughs> at Jacobs? Yeah, I think so. Uh, he is Jewish after all, so uh, you know. Um, could have got him down there. Uh, my, my bitch, uh, is, uh, is a little bit related to yours, Greg. Um, and that's just sort of like the passage of time as a parent, because, uh, our youngest is potty training, um, which is kind of a rose in many ways, but at the same time, like no more diapers in our house, uh, like pull-ups at night, I guess. But it sort of feels like, like this is a moment. This is the end of a This is not your rose? Well, I mean, it's sort of, like I said, I mean, him being out of diapers is is great. But I think there's just some sadness for me because our older son is starting pre-K on Monday, uh, same. So he's going to a new school. uh, And our younger son is potty training. So it feels like we are transitioning into kind of a new new part of, of parenthood. And I just, you know, them being so little is is really awesome. So it makes me sad. That I can't keep them uh, from growing any older. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's even though it is somewhat of a good thing, uh, it still feels kind of like a bitch. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, although I think being done with diapers was like one of the happiest days of my <laughs> life. But uh, but I but I appreciate the sentiment. Um, so my rose is uh, the last week and a half, including the couple days I was at camp, I've heard I've heard from people I haven't spoken to in a really long time, um, people who are listening to our podcast and reading our blog, which is just really nice. Like some just people reaching out and saying they're enjoying it and people who, who want to be involved and have thoughts and are interested. And it's just, um, it's it's been really cool to reconnect with people and to know that, um, there is someone out there at the other end of this uh, of this recording <laughs> listening, um, and and that's awesome. Um, so that's been really exciting. Uh, my thorn is uh, summer flew by, and like I know it's not over yet, but you guys are talking about school starting, you know, Monday, and it starts a little later in DC than in Atlanta, but. I'm pretty sure it will have started by the time we put this episode out. Uh, and that's just sort of crazy and sad to me. I don't know where it went. Yeah, it's ridiculous how early we start school in the <laughs> South. I mean, you would think our schools would be better given how much time they have to spend in a goddamn classroom. It is <laughs> the 1st of August. There is no reason for people to be in school right now. It's yeah. it's a little crazy. Um but uh, that is that is the schedule, and it drives and and you know there's like this very brief period of time when um, your life is not at all affected by the school calendar. But uh, I think we're I at least and and I think you guys are back in the phase of now uh, the life being governed by the school calendar once again. So it's it's a little crazy. Yeah. Um, 
Well, that is our show. If you're enjoying it, please uh, keep listening and make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and any other podcast listening tool we can find. We are going to post links to uh, this episode and all of our episodes on our social channels. So please be sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter if you don't already. Uh, We are at Summer Camp Pod. We welcome your comments on the episode. Um, Please tell us if you have memories of your evening program that you were involved in, anything that you want to share about evening programs or anything about the episode, uh, please send us your comments and we may even read some of the comments on a future episode. You can also email us with your stories, questions, or podcast ideas at summercamppod at gmail.com. That's S-U-M-M-E-R-C-A-M-P-P-O-D at gmail.com. And if you want to hear more from Micah, he's on Twitter at Micah Hart, and he moonlights on Instagram making fun of words with friends at RejectedWWF. If you want to hear more from me, I'm also on Twitter at Judy G. Becker, and you can read my blog about the lives of working moms at JudyGBecker.com. And thank you so much to our guest, Greg Bluestein. And Greg, where can people find you? Yeah, okay. So on Twitter, I'm at Bluestein, B-L-U-E-S-T-E-I-N. And on Facebook, I think I'm Greg Bluestein AJC is my is my work account. So you can find all the latest political stories from the AJC on those two accounts. Awesome. Well, thank you again so much for joining us and everyone else. We'll see you next time on Campfires and Color Wars. Don't waste a minute, Micah. Don't waste a minute, Judy. Happiness runs in a circular motion. Thought is like a little boat upon the sea. Everybody is a part of everything anyway. You can have everything if you let yourself be. Happiness runs.